everybody, welcome back to Yellow Talk. We're gonna talk about Feminism for the 99%. It is a radical book on a manifesto for a feminist anti-capitalist mindset and ideology. I was able to get my hands on this book through Verso Books. They're a radical independent bookstore over in London. So definitely go check them out online. They have a promo going on where they're giving out five free eBooks. And one of them is this book. So if you do want to get your hands on after the show, if you are interested, if you want to read some more, go check out Verso Books. This is not sponsored, but definitely am a fan. So (laughs) just know that. Anyways, thank you guys. And let's jump right in. The publication of this manifesto is brought to us by Cinzia Aruza, Tithi Bacharya, and Nancy Fraser, coming at a time when the hegemony of liberal feminism is being called into question. Liberal feminism has monopolized the discourse about gender equality for decades without questioning the exploitation of wage labor or the multiple forms of oppression that define the existence of most women, hence the 99%. state an example just a few years ago, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, rose to the top ranks of the New York Times bestseller list for over a year, selling millions of copies. Lean In urged women to overcome all obstacles to climb their way up the corporate ladder with hopes of achieving more equitable rosters of CEOs and corporate boards. However, for the vast majority of women, this so-called corporate ladder isn't even reachable from the basement of economic precarity, low-wage jobs, and lack of public social supports, including healthcare, housing, and childcare. The authors especially focus on the fundamental role of capitalism in maintaining gender oppression. They argue that capitalism is, quote, the real source of crisis and misery, which constantly pursues unlimited profit while free riding on nature, public goods, and unwaged work primarily shouldered by women, which is necessary because they tend to take care of the children and their communities because of social normalities and... I guess, socialization. To fight back against capitalism, the authors argue we must build an anti-racist, anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, internationalist feminist movement. The book puts a special attention on social reproduction theory, which they describe as the people-making needs of capitalism in contrast to the profit-making needs. Social reproduction encompasses those unpaid activities which fall disproportionately to women and help sustain life outside the workplace, including raising children, caring for the family, and maintaining the community. Capitalism overwhelmingly relies on outsourcing the burden of social reproduction primarily onto women through millions of unpaid hours of domestic labor. This has led to a double or triple shift for many working class women who have to take care of their families while also working one or two extra jobs just to make ends meet at the end of the day. In contrast, as authors point out, many wealthier women can cast that burden onto low paid domestic workers. 
The book also notes that strikes from paid work can be much more powerful in halting capitalism's ability to function and concretely demonstrate the tremendous force of a united working class. While women-dominated fields like education, healthcare, retail, and hospitality should play a powerful role in building these strikes, the movement needs to mobilize a broader working class force. This includes men who are of working class status that could benefit and probably will benefit tremendously from paid parental leave and universal childcare. The widest possible strike action as well as full participation of unpaid caretakers, mothers, and retirees, would apply the force needed to win impactful changes for working-class women and their families. It is also very, very, very dope to see that the book arms readers with an understanding of the fundamental role of capitalism in perpetuating gender oppression and violence. The central question is how best to fight back against this sexist system. The answer that the authors give to the question is a call to unite all radical movements and build a common anti-capitalist insurgency. Our struggle must undeniably link struggles for the environment, for labor rights, against war, against imperialism, and against all forms of oppression into a united working class movement to take on the menace of capitalism. More often than not, most forms of feminism that consider themselves anti-capitalist only target the worst aspects of neoliberal policies without proposing to get rid of the entire system. What is becoming abundantly clear, however, is the inability of neoliberal feminism to respond to the problems and demands of the majority of women, the 99%. Even more so, neoliberal feminism is complicit in legitimizing the system by propagating the idea that it is enough to place women in positions of power inside capitalist democracies, that is, including them within management positions that still exploit within a system that is still unjust and within a system that will never liberate us all. From this starting point, the manifesto says that an anti-capitalist feminism has become thinkable today because the credibility of political elites is collapsing worldwide. The authors propose challenging the feminism embodied by Hillary Clinton from the left. In the vacuum produced by liberalism's decline, we must have a chance and we must build on this chance to form a feminism that is going to result in a just society. They explain this is why our movement must become a feminism for the 99%. The manifesto talks at large about the roots of gender violence, including a critique of punitive solutions, and about the normalization and regulation of sexuality under capitalism, plus the need to liberate it. We agree that the denunciation of the racist and colonial violence that marked the origins of capitalism need to be addressed. Capitalism is leading to the destruction of the planet, and the manifesto calls for an anti-imperialist, eco-socialist, and internationalist feminism. A really important quote from the book that I personally very much appreciate is the following. Quote, 
These two voices represent opposing paths for the feminist movement. On one hand, you have the neoliberal white women, like Sandberg, like Clinton, that see their feminism as handmaiden of capitalism. They want a world where the task of managing exploitation in the workplace and oppression in the social whole is shared equally by ruling class men and women. This is a remarkable vision of equal opportunity domination, one that asks ordinary people in the name of feminism to be grateful that it is a woman, not a man, who busts their union, who orders a drone strike, or locks their child in a cage at the border. In sharp contrast to the liberal feminist vision, the organizers of the Huelga Feminista insist on ending capitalism. The system that generates the boss, produces national borders, and manufactures the drones that guard them. Part of the reaction is against the prevailing notion of quote-unquote lean-in feminism, which has been a popular idea, most notably in support of Hillary Clinton's campaign for president. The idea that the last frontier for women to challenge are these glass ceilings that block the ascension of women into electoral politics or in corporate America. I think for us, that actually is not the last frontier for ordinary working class, middle class women. The traditional shackles on poor and working class women are still in effect and actually have to be responded to and attended to immediately. The feminism for the 99% is about rejecting that idea that women are only or primarily concerned about their role in the elite male world but that there still are a lot, if not many, very basic issues such as access to reproductive health care, access to abortion, and wage differentials that impact women on an everyday basis, specifically people of color, specifically black women. At a very basic level, there is an understanding that the problems experienced by women in our societies today are rooted in an economic system that privileges the 1% over the 99%. And that sometimes we think of women's issues onto themselves. But really, these are issues that arise out of an inherently unequal economic arrangement in this country. The fact is that women make less, that women don't have access to childcare provisions, that women don't have access to reproductive health care, that there simply is injustice. There are not just economic questions. These are not just economic questions. They're related to an economic arrangement that relies on the free labor of women to, and in fact, reproduce itself in a political system. Therefore, one thing that I was able to learn from this reading, and one thing that I wanted to give you guys as an ending message, is that in order to liberate our collective movements, we need to decolonialize, de-imperialize, and basically erase whiteness from our feminism entirely. Corporatocracy, capitalism, any sort of exploitative median will never, ever, ever liberate us. And so that should be literally at odds with our medians and modes of advocating and preaching our feminist ideals. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us. This was a pleasure for me as always, and look forward to seeing you guys during our next podcast. Stay well, stay safe, and please stay inside. Love you best and goodbye.